You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. series missional living this is our third week we're going to be in luke the gospel of luke chapter 10 today Uh, if you have your phones you're welcome to turn there as well if you don't have a bible just know that in the back of our room are racks of bibles you are welcome to take them mark them up read them at your discretion Uh, we would enjoy that and so we're going to turn to luke the gospel luke 10 is the big number 25 is the verse number, the little number. We're going to go all the way down to verse 25, verses 25 through 37. And this is the parable of the good Samaritan. So these are the words written. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, this is the man, the lawyer. Well, you shall love the Lord your God, with your, your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <clears throat> and Jesus replied with a story, a parable. He said, a man was going down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest who was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, <clears throat> he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The lawyer the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, what a phrase. You go and do likewise. Lord, will you make that the conviction of our heart today, that you would use your word to humble us, to teach us, to guide us, to encourage us, to convict us, Lord, or that we would really understand what it means to love our neighbor. And so we bring this all before you, God, through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. And so over the last few weeks, we have questioned the fundamental truth of life. Do we exist for our own purposes, for our own means and ends? Did God create us and then just desire us to live happy, nice lives in this world? And maybe you're in here and you don't know necessarily if God even exists, and you've uh, adopted a YOLO mentality in your life, that this is all you get, and so you might as well make the most of it. 
Or is it possible that we exist for God's own end, for God's very own purposes, that not only did God create us, but he wants to use us? The surpassing knowledge of our scripture tells us that we all are part of God's good creation. And our purpose in that good creation is actually to bring God glory. We're actually to bring him glory. And I use that term glory a lot, mostly because it sounds really cool. And I wonder if we necessarily know what that means. So I think it's important that we define that term because it can be odd to hear. And so when we say the term glory, what we're meaning is this. This would be a definition for you. Glory is the magnificent worth, loveliness, and grandeur of God's many perfections in character and creation. His magnificent of worth and value and grandeur of God's many <clears throat> perfections in character and creation. And so when we say we're going to bring him glory, what we are saying is that we and all of creation's purpose are designed and actually our mission is to reflect and make known to God and the world his glory, his magnificence, his worth, his loveliness, grandeur, and perfection. God is a jealous God. He is jealous for our praise. He is jealous for our worship, not because he needs it or because he's a narcissist, God is jealous for our praise because in our praise and worship of God, we find our most truest sense of worth and joy in this world. It puts us into a deep relationship with our creator, the one who made us. And in the same way, small children find their flourishing and joy, protection and comfort in the arms of their parents. Our parenthood echoes and reflects what we as God's children are to do forever. The whole of creation is to glorify God and to reflect him. And to do that best, we must enjoy him most. That is our purpose. It is our design, but it also is the very, very thing that redeems us, that actually rescues us from our own selfish heart that bends towards pleasing ourselves. It rescues us from our inadequacy and our sin. In Luke 10, there is this lawyer. Now, the lawyer is not painted in a very good fashion, and I just want to be careful because I have a lawyer friend in here, and this is not about a lawyer. This terminology represents somebody who is a scholar in the law somebody that should know better. And that lawyer asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus simply says, well, you tell me. And the man responds, well, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so in this passage, I want you to understand that eternal life does not mean the life that exists after this It's not the life that exists after death. Eternal life in this passage means the value and the quality of your life today. It is living in the now through the Holy Spirit by the morals, characters, and values of your forever home with God. That is to have eternal life. And so there is, in a sense, a truth that the very thing that we're designed for is also our purpose. The very thing that you were designed for is actually your entire purpose on earth. And that design and purpose then actually is God's 
plan to restore, redeem you and the world. You were made to be in relationship with God. You were made to be in relationship with him. That is the core of your creation. But that relationship also is your very purpose. I was designed to be in a relationship with God, and being in a relationship with God is my only true purpose on this earth. And today, as we live in a broken world, rattled by sin and disease and illness and pain, all of which did not exist in God's perfect creation before mankind chose themselves over God. In this broken world, that purpose and that design is the means in which God is gonna bring all things back into himself. You know, there will be a day, and maybe there already has been a day, mostly there has been a day for a lot of you, where you will evaluate or have evaluated your skills and your talents, your gifts and your knowledge, and you will try to figure out what is it I am to do in this world. And you will look at careers and job descriptions and try to figure out which one of these most fit my likes and my abilities. And eventually, you will settle on one that does. Not completely, but maybe close enough. And if they pay you enough, not at all, right? And so you will live to work in a profession that to a reasonable degree aligns with your makeup, aligns with who you are. But our scripture tells us that we were all designed to do the very purpose that we were intended to, that our design and our purpose is exactly the same, which means this, that every part of you was designed to love God. And every part of you was made through God's love for you. That every thread and fiber of your identity finds its worth in your creator. And your creator's worth should be seen and evident in every thread and fiber of your identity. Which means this, friends, you're not just a farmer. You're not a secretary or lathe operator. You're not just a forklift driver. You didn't just become a lawyer, an engineer, a mom, a truck driver. All of us, every single one of us, was designed and empowered to be missionaries where we are at. We are all God illuminators in our place, just operating with different roles and responsibilities and obligations what we do as work on this world and the roles that we play while we are here are not ends in themselves, but the very means that God is reflected into the world. So men, your role as fathers is to reflect the goodness of our heavenly father to your children. Our marriage, let's just say it was not conceived in the mind of man. Marriage was conceived in the mind of God to reflect to the world God's love for his people and his people's glad submission and trust for him. Your work is there to reflect God's character and love with the people around you as you work for him. Your citizenship in this world, in this country, is meant to be reflect, is a reflection of your citizenship of heaven in which you truly live and value. We reflect that into the world. Why? Because God wants peace with his creation. 
He wants wholeness with his creation. He wants reconciliation. Your very design, your very purpose becomes through the sovereign decree of God, the very means that he restores and redeems us and the world. God partners with humanity to reveal and reflect his love and his mercy. He partners with us. God's people doing exactly what they were designed to do. Their only purpose for the good and joy of themselves and the world around us as we reflect him and bring praise to him. Now in this parable, it would seem really nice if Jesus would have just stopped the lawyer after his first response of loving your Lord and God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It would have been a little easier, nicer, if Jesus just had stopped there in light of loving your neighbor as yourself. And maybe you object to that, saying, what are you saying? That, that is hard to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's almost impossible. And I would say you're right. It is impossible. It is impossible completely in your strength. But if all that God commanded creation was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, how would I ever know that that's the aim or desire of your heart? And you may say, well, I could tell you. You could question my studies. You could read the bumper sticker on my car, right? You would know. And when I played football, there was a guy that came in who we were told played football at the University of North Carolina. And he was going to come and coach us. He even wore Carolina blue at all of the practices. And so I thought, this is great. This is good wisdom, experience. It would be helpful for us in our program. And then we had practice. <laughs> and he started to try to coach me up on a drill. And he was like, you just you need to shimmy and shake. You need to do this and that and this. And you just got to be fast. That's what you got to do. And I thought, what in the world is this? Because like, I wasn't, by any stretch of the imagination, a good football player, but I knew fundamentals and techniques, and this guy was crazy. And it turned out, later we found out, he never played football at North Carolina. He never even was enrolled there, nor had he ever played football in his life. He was a fraud. He was a fraud because that's what a fraud is, somebody who says something and does another. So friends, I want you to understand it is a profound good wisdom from God to know that it's one saying, thing to say that you love the Lord your God your, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, but another to actually show it in how you live by loving your neighbor. There are many who talk a good game about God, but he is nowhere to be seen in their life. God is not interested in our human self-righteousness, our ability to think that we're better than one another or better than God. God knows the capacity of our selfish, sinful hearts. He is not interested in that. He is most glorified when God's people love him and show that love to our neighbors by our Fruit, just as a tree produces something that is seen that's called a fruit, we as believers produce something that's seen and tasted by the world. And so what that means is that we need to fundamentally change the way that we see people. And so let's just be honest. People are nuts, all right? People are nuts. The headlines today are nuts. 
There is somebody in a foreign country that has looked over our church website that has figured out I'm the pastor and they made an email that looks just like mine and now are sending communication into the community saying that I am this person and I need financial help for some problems in my church. We are nuts, okay? And it almost feels like it's easier not to deal with people than to actually engage with them. And one of my introverted friends out there just perked up and said, oh, really? Can we make that a point? (laughs) And maybe we feel this burden a little bit more in this season than maybe we have for quite some time. That with all the craziness that's going on, people are saying, all the nuttiness, we have found it a little easier to hate people than to love them. But isn't that natural in some ways? Maybe we have found it easier today to dismiss people or demean and belittle them. We often like to navigate this world by putting people in groups and putting labels on them so we can understand our journey, we can protect ourselves, but ultimately also to confirm our rightness. And so we try to put as many labels on as many groups as we possibly can. We call people Democrats, Republicans, they're anti this and anti that, pro this and pro that. They're liberal, progressive, conservative, woke, a fundamentalist. But do you know why the reason that we put labels on people? Because it's far easier to dehumanize a thing than it is a person. It's far easier to demean and hate an agenda and a belief than it is somebody's name. And that is the plight of our world, to put labels on as many as we can, thinking that we're wise so that we could, whether we realize it or not, belittle, demean, denounce, and hate. But friend, God only puts one label on mankind. And you know what it is? Neighbor. Neighbor, neighbor. And many of us might be like this lawyer who upon hearing Jesus' wisdom wants to find a way to define who is my neighbor, wants to define it in a way that will make him feel better about his ability to obey the very first commandment. Who is my neighbor, he says. The scholar wants to define this term because the narrower the definition, the easier it is for us to obey the first. It is the natural occurrence of mankind to love those who like us, isn't it? We might do well at loving God well if it were just our family. But who are we kidding? That's not possible. Maybe a cat, if we're honest. But Jesus won't... Give him or us the type of justification we desire. Jesus talks about a traveler who is going down a road between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's a notoriously dangerous road in that day. And this man is overtaken by thieves and robbers. He's beaten, everything taken from him. He's beaten to an inch of his life. And on that road, in the gutter, three people come across his path. The first two are a priest and a Levite, both of which would be religious officials in that day. 
both which would be devout in their beliefs. Both would be known as people who love God. And Jesus' point here is that wouldn't it make the most sense that somebody who loved God would be the type of person that would extend mercy? Wouldn't it make the most sense that if they said that they love God, they would extend mercy to this traveler? But the story tells us they don't, and they pass by on the other side even. They don't extend themselves. They don't do anything. They carry on. And then Jesus talks about the Samaritan. I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where God has just completely humiliated you. <laughs> like a spiritual gut punch that just reveals your utter silliness <laughs> in how you do things. This is the lawyer's moment. This is that scholar's moment. Because of all of the people in that region, in that day, in Jerusalem, the Samaritan would have been the person that he hated the most. If you were a scholar of the law, you despised Gentiles, which were non-Jews, people like you and I. But your greatest hate would be towards the Samaritan. They were seen to be half-breeds, unclean, abomination. And let us not miss here that Jesus didn't just say to the lawyer, hey, he's your neighbor. The Samaritan, he's your neighbor. Love him. Now, what does Jesus do? He puts the very person he despises the most into the story, and he says, he is more righteous than you are. He showed mercy more than you have. God reveals the pride of this man's heart and his hatred. And it's revealed by his answer because the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. Only the one that shows mercy. There's a subtle shift in this question that Jesus gives here at the end that reveals the meaning of this parable. The lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? But did you notice what Jesus said? He said, which one of these three prove to be a neighbor? Jesus is saying, it's not about you figuring out who's worthy of being your neighbor. He's saying, are you a neighbor? Matthew Slick, who's a blogger, writes this definition of neighbor. He says this, our neighbor is thus anyone in our proximity with whom we can share God's love. We are called not only to love those who are similar to us or to whom we are comfortable with, but all whom God places in our path. In fact, Jesus says this, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He brings rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only those who greet you, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God shows his love to all people. And as his children, we are called to do the same. And so believer, friend, seeker, 
Christ, who is the very God incarnate, God in flesh, said he classifies people in one category, neighbor, neighbor. Dallas Willard writes this about the story of the Good Samaritan. I'll quote him. He says, in in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus not only teaches us to help people in need, more deeply he teaches us that we cannot identify who has it, who is in with God, who is blessed by looking at exteriors of any sort. That is a matter of the heart. There alone, the kingdom of the heavens and the human kingdoms, great and small, are knit together. Draw any cultural social line you wish, and God will find his way beyond it. Now, there are some who might get confused, for instance, when they read Jesus speaking to his disciples in Matthew 18 about what we are to do if one another hurt us, sin against us, harm us, bring offense to us. Because at the end of that, if you have done your due diligence and gone to this person in private and told them of how you were hurt and how you were harmed and they are not responsive, and then you you go to them with somebody else who was affected by their sin and they tell them about it and they're not responsive, and then you tell the church and the church tries with grievous in their hearts and gentleness to try to get them to see the error of their way and seek forgiveness. If they, at the end of that, don't respond, Jesus says these words, you treat them as a tax collector and a Gentile. Tax collectors and Gentiles were despised in that day. Now, we might imagine that Jesus is saying, do away with them. We might extend it even seeing Jesus saying, be unkind to them. Some might see this as a license for us to hate those such people. But let us be reminded that in the midst of the disciples of Christ was a tax collector named Matthew. And let us not forget that two-thirds of our New Testament, the, the latter 27 books in our Bible, were written by a devout Jew named Paul whose mission was to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. In light of the fact that Jesus dines and invites tax collectors and Gentiles, non-Jewish people like you and I, the fact that we can have faith today and that we are in his kingdom means that it cannot mean that Jesus is giving permission to hate those who don't respond to our, our gentle calls to surrender and repentance, but rather that we grievingly break fellowship with them in relationship with them in our worship, in our Christian community as a church, that they might in their error, in their experience in the world, just realize how beautiful the flock of God is. And we treat them like any outsider, as a neighbor, who we still extend ourselves in hospitality and care in as much and as often as we can. And so, friends, my prayer this week and my desire is that we might reconsider how we see people. In light of God's design for us and our purpose, that for the good of us in the world and God's glory, that we might see each other as neighbor and no other label. Neighbor. And listen, hear me. Their value is not for what they bring to us. 
If your relationships with others are based upon what they give to you, if it's based upon what they bring to you, what they give to you by their power or their position or their status, what they give to you by what they do or how they make you feel, if that is the crux of your relationships with people, they're not your neighbor, they're your slave. And you may not own them, but you have placed them in your debt. Believer, we don't see people for how they benefit us, but rather we love them as a neighbor for what they reveal in us, about us. Because every encounter we have on this journey of life is an opportunity that tells about us, that speaks about our character, our, our conduct, it reveals what we truly believe. And I want to belabor this point a little bit as we head into almost year two of a pandemic. And let's be honest, we are a little grumpier today than we were. And it's easier to be more annoyed today than it has been. And maybe it's a little easier to be angry. And maybe whether we realize it or not, we're a tad bit more jaded than we were at the start. Could you hear me today in understanding that one of God's profound graces to you and gifts to you are people? People that you cross in your journey. They become little moments of friction, little tests that reveal to us the state of our heart. God is using them for our good. And so would you welcome them as neighbor in as much as you can? And I just want to leave off here just a bit, believer, uh, that, that while you may think you can follow Christ and never come to church or sporadically come to church or just every once in a while dip your toe in on a, on a show on Sunday, look, I'm saying this with all the love in my heart, like, can I warn you of that danger? Can you who are online and watching the sermon now and in the future, can I, with all humility, warn you, warn you of a danger? I understand that the season is hard. But without a community of believers who are dedicated to grace and love, you have no friction you have no resistance in your life that comes through people to reveal to you the truth about the state of your heart and your, the reality of your love for God with all that you have. And in that becomes the greatest danger to be a fraud. To be a fraud. To say that you love Jesus but it would never be known in how you live. God has given you a people, friend, his church. He has surrounded you with people who can weep with you and encourage you and even challenge you, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so love is church. Love is people. Is the church perfect? No. Are people imperfect? Yes. Is God good? Yeah. Is he faithful? Yes. Is that enough? 
You better believe it is. And so this is the big idea. We don't see people for what they can bring us. We love neighbors for what they reveal in us, about us. Now, here's the thing. I'm not sitting here today telling you, now go, therefore, and love your neighbor as Christ did and as he commands. I'm not asking you that in your strength and in your efforts that you would go and do this. I'm here to tell you that the fundamental design for people and their being a part of our life is for us. We are to love our neighbor. But here's the thing. You can't. (laughs) You can't. If you, through your own effort and strength, could love God and love your neighbor, then Christ's death and resurrection would be absolutely meaningless. What is far more beautiful and glorifying to God is when God's faithful realize they can't and surrender to something outside of themselves, outside of their wisdom, outside of their power, because God is not glorified in the world by them seeing how wonderful I am, but how wonderful he is. If all we do is meet people and they just meet me, but never the God in me, it's pointless. So next week, we want to talk about power. And here's the thing, it's not yours. You don't have it. And that's a far more beautiful thing than your mind has the ability to imagine. The friction of people is necessary, friends. It's God's good grace to us that reveals over and over the state of our hearts. Don't avoid it. Seek your neighbor. And here's the thing. This is such a broad statement, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's so broad and so wide, it leads us almost to non-action. It's just a great thought. And so can I leave you with this challenge? Leave you with this challenge. On the road that this man traveled from Jericho, I should say the Samaritan, when he saw this man on the road, he didn't build a clinic or a hospital. He just dealt with a struggle that was in his plain sight. Friends, every day you have people struggling in your plain sight. You have actual neighbors that live next to you that could benefit from you being a neighbor? Would you make them your desire to be neighborly to and show God's love?